Amen. You may be seated. I have to admit, when Pastor Chris started that new song, The Love of the Father, I looked at Sarah and said, uh-oh, here we go. Because <laughs> that, that, that's as bad as rocking as we've ever been here at Oak Park. So, uh, <clears throat> so it was good. We sustained clapping through the entire time. There were some weak points, but we came back strong. I was really impressed. I was really encouraged. So, uh, Chris, I like that song. I think everybody else did too. So maybe next time we'll really get it going. So whenever that happens, okay? Well, hopefully you're awake and you're ready to open up God's Word with us. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, first gospel. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you don't own uh, any scripture, we have Bibles right there in our, our, our sound booth. They're stacked up there. You can just slip out and you can grab one and take it back to your seat. And if you don't own that a Bible, you can take that as a gift uh, from us this morning. But we're going to continue our study in Matthew 12, and we're going to pick up here in verse 22. And I'm going to read all the way down to verse 32. And so follow along with me as we hear the word of the Lord. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute, was brought to him. And he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then... The kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. About 14 years ago, there was an internet phenomenon called the Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit Challenge. I hope none of you participated in it, but maybe, maybe you did, and the Lord's worked in your heart. But Maybe you remember it. It was back in 2006, and it was a challenge among atheists to essentially um, commit the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin. And so essentially individuals would record themselves on, on YouTube in giving a testimony, if you will, a testimony typically of their enlightenment, of coming through the myth of religion, particularly Christianity, and they would tell their story. But as they would kind of bring this video to a close and kind of a crescendo, they would say, and I deny the existence of the Holy Spirit. This was certainly a colorful way to renounce Christianity. 
and declare themselves atheists by seemingly going to the point of no return, right? Because if this was true under the guise of understanding this passage, then they were basically sealing their doom. But of course, the irony was, at least in their mind, oh, there's no God, there's nothing to be worried about, so we will do the very thing that God says he will not forgive. Almost, a, a, and it certainly was blasphemous, if you will. The unforgivable sin, or the unpardonable sin is mentioned here, and maybe that's why you're here this morning. You're like, I, I want to be here because I, I, I saw the text that we have, and, and I'm curious, what is this all about? Uh, the unpardonable sin is mentioned again in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 29, and, and admittedly, this is one of the more difficult sayings of Jesus. This is a very difficult passage. It's difficult both to understand what, what does he mean, and then understanding what he means, it's difficult to, to accept. I mean, is there really a sin that a person can commit that is unforgivable? Is there really a line that, that I could cross? Is there something that I could do that, in essence, I become a, a lost cause, that God would never Forgive me. And if so, what in the world is that sin? Don't you want to know, right? If, I, if this is a real thing, what, what is it? Is it merely doing what these individuals are doing on, on these videos and, and just stating, I deny the existence of the Holy Spirit? Is that what it is? Or is it something more sinister? Is it something more subtle? Something that I might accidentally do? Really, I think what people want to know is, could I be guilty of committing this sin? What Jesus speaks of here as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I want you to say, is a real sin. It is sin. But it's not a particular act, like a one-time moment. It's not something that you'll accidentally do. But it is something that we need to be aware of. So the Christian who's worried, maybe you are this morning, you're hearing this and you heard the scripture, you're like, have I done this? Well, the person who's worried that they might have accidentally committed this sin is most likely not in danger. And I put that most likely because I hope to explain what it is and why we should heed the warning. But the good news is that for many, even those who have participated in the internet challenge of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, good news is, is that they haven't necessarily committed it either. So what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think that'd be a good place to start, and then we can unpack this passage, because that's what everybody wants to know. Don't tell me about anything else about this passage, but those last few verses, that's really all I care about. So what is it? How, how can we make sure that we're not guilty of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, here in our passage, what is Jesus doing? He has performed a miracle. We have seen these time and time again as we walk through the Gospels. But here's another demon-oppressed man, and the way that his demon oppression is manifesting itself is that this demon has caused him to be blind and mute. That's such a good reminder. doesn't mean that everybody who's blind and mute is demon-possessed, but it does help us see that there is a spiritual dimension at times going on, that maybe we only understand the physical dynamics, but we're seeing that sometimes there's a spiritual dynamic. But this is what has happened. There's a demon-oppressed man who's now blind and mute, and, and Jesus comes and, and heals him so that he can both see and his tongue is loose. 
And what Jesus goes on to say and explain, we see in verse 28, that he does these things, that all his works are empowered, if you will, by the Holy Spirit. We looked at that last Sunday. We saw that I will put my spirit upon him, verse 18, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Well, we see in verse 28 of our verse, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is being presented to you. This is true. This is genuine. And so what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It's to resist the Spirit's prompting by which he is revealing who Jesus is and revealing the kingdom. It's to resist his prompting, to resist his revealing, and to literally cut yourself off from any hope of salvation. This is what it's likened to. If you were to be stranded on an island and there is a clean water source that could, that could quench your thirst and you're, you're on your way to dying of thirst, but you will not drink the water because you have determined that the water's poison. It's a non-starter, isn't it? You've already determined the water is not your salvation, so you'll never drink. The very thing that could cover your sins, to give you life. And so this danger of resisting the Holy Spirit, that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we avoid that danger? This danger of resisting the Holy Spirit is spoken of elsewhere in the Scripture. And I just want to bring some of these to mind so you see that while this is uniquely stated here, it's actually throughout the Scriptures and, and spoken of in different ways. In, in Ephesians 4, Paul, and in 1 Thessalonians as, as well, Paul talks about quenching the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit. Paul also calls it uh, the opposite of walking in the Spirit is walking in the flesh. That's basically resisting the Spirit. It's sometimes referred to in, in, in 1 John chapter 5, uh, sinning unto death, an eternal sin. Kind of daunting phrase right there. Or as the writer of Hebrews warns, uh, Pastor Jim read for us, outraging the spirit. What is that? Deliberately going on sinning after arriving at a knowledge of the truth. Peter, writer of Hebrews always also calls it, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. That's resisting the Holy Spirit. Again, Paul calls it searing your conscience. That picture is very vivid. You sear your conscience means you're numb. You're numb to the Spirit's activity, His leading. See, it's only by the Holy Spirit whereby anyone can see the things of the Spirit. That's what you need to understand. There's the only way that anyone can even see the kingdom. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus, right? Unless you're born again, you can't even see it. And being born again is a work of the Spirit. And it's by the Spirit that the light of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ shines into our hearts. And so whether you're here today and you haven't ever confessed Jesus as Lord, or even if you profess to be a Christian, if you resist the Spirit's prompting of your soul, you're in danger of Him never prompting you again. That's what's going on here in this text. If you hear His voice, as the writer of Hebrews says, do not harden your heart. Why? Because you may not hear His voice again. And His voice is your only hope. 
So to put this in kind of the the mini-series that we've put it, blessed is the one who is not offended by Jesus' power. And what's that power? The power of the Holy Spirit. If you're offended by the Holy Spirit's prompting and, and, and probing of your soul and you reject it, there's nowhere else to go. There's no hope. You have cut yourself from all life. There's nothing available. So with that in mind, I want to exhort us, even professing believers. I don't want us to have this mind, well, once saved, always saved. I don't have to worry about this. No, run the race set before you. And how does that happen? The Spirit guides you and leads you. We don't want to resist the Spirit either. That's why those, those things that I read throughout Scripture are written to the church. And so I want to exhort us, even as professing believers, do not resist the promptings of the Holy Spirit whereby he leads you to salvation in Christ. Because to resist these promptings is to cut yourself off from the grace of God that is in Christ. So if we're not to resist the Spirit's prompting, the question we ask, well, what does this prompting look like? What is it so I don't resist it, right? We don't want to do that. Well, that's where I want to spend our time this morning, and I think they're illustrated in this whole story. Really, it's a story about the Pharisees resisting the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter tells uh, even the Jewish leaders. You resist, actually Stephen, you resist the Holy Spirit just like your fathers have always done. They're always resisting. Well, what does this resisting look like, when, and how does the Spirit prompt us? Well, I see three ways that the Spirit prompts us to come to Jesus. Number one, the Spirit reveals the person of Christ. He reveals Jesus to us. Number two, the Spirit reveals the deliverance of Christ. And number three, the Spirit reveals the forgiveness of Christ. And so you can see, if you resist the Spirit who's revealing these things to you, well, then you have nowhere to go. No hope. We cannot resist the Spirit, brothers and sisters, because it is only by the Spirit we can see the person of Jesus. And this is what is happening here in verses 22 through 24. Jesus has healed this demon-oppressed man who is blind and mute, but I want you to notice the response of the people. What do the people say? They say, can this be the son of David? They're they're connecting dots, aren't they? They're responding. They're, They're putting the pieces together. They don't quite yet know. They're questioning. But they're coming up with the right answers, if you will. They are seeing the work of the Spirit through Jesus, healing this man who is now revealing to them that he is the son of David. Now, why would they think this? Why would they come up with son of David? Why wouldn't they think of other things? Well, because they know that when the Messiah appears, that he is going to give sight to the blonde. He's going to give hearing to the deaf. He's going to loosen the tongue of the mute. For instance, Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6 says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man lead like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. They know that these things are going to characterize the Messiah. That's why when we see Jesus' healings, yes, it's declaring to us that Jesus is God, but it's actually revealing to us all of who he is. He's fulfilling the scriptures. 
And so how are they being able to make these associations? Isaiah 35, for instance, and now this is what Jesus is doing. And they're connecting their dots and they're talking. You know, this is what Isaiah says. And you know what? We're watching Jesus do these very things. We've never seen anything like this before. How are they doing that? Because Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, works to bear witness to himself. That's what he says. If you don't believe my words, believe my works. They bear witness to me. And so what's the Spirit doing? The Spirit is manifesting Jesus to them and confirming in conjunction with the Word of God about who the Messiah will be. Now just think for a moment. If Jesus didn't do this in this moment, and these people never saw the works of the Spirit, well, they never would have concluded or even begin to have the conversation that this may be the Son of God, right? That this might be the Son of David. The Spirit, if he's not working, they don't see this. They don't have the questions. They're not prompted. Do you see that? This is necessary to come to the conclusion of who Jesus is. And brothers and sisters, the Spirit works in the same way today. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Word made flesh, right? He's the Word of God who has come and taken on flesh and has revealed the Father to us. Well, guess what? We have the Word written. We have the written Word who has come to reveal Christ and the Father and the Spirit to us. And so you might be thinking, yeah, Chase, it'd be nice if I was there, I could make the connections too. I would see Jesus healing and I would say, I believe. We're going to see that that's not necessarily the case. But what I want you to see is that you do have the written word. And the Spirit is using the written word in the same way as the word made flesh came. The Spirit is bringing Jesus near to us right now as we open up the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, right? And the Spirit presses and brings Christ near to us. This is why Jesus says, and this sounds so contrary to what we think, it is better if I go away. It's better for you if I go away. That's why. Why? Because I'll send the Helper. I'll send the Spirit. And He will lead you into all truth. And He leads us to Christ. Now, I want you to see this. More explained. Oftentimes we have to go to other portions of the scripture to kind of get maybe the, the, the engine under the hood and how this is working. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you can go through all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you got Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. And we'll just look in chapter 2 because Paul is unpacking uh, the similar thing here. How the Spirit reveals, if you will. And Paul's been talking about the gospel. He's been talking about preaching Christ and him crucified, preaching the cross. And he says, to some, it's foolishness. They don't see. And to others, it's the power of God, to those who believe. So some are seeing and some don't see. Well, what's the difference? Well, Jesus tell, I mean, Paul tells us in chapter 2, verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through what? The Spirit. Do you see that? For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words. What's this? The gospel. The revelation of God. We impart it in words. Words which you and I have in our hands right now. Go on reading. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That's That's an important point right there. He goes on. The natural person, however, the person you could put in who resists the Spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's what's going on in this story. You've got spiritual people, people sensitive to the things of God, and those who are not. Those who are not. And so when you and I are given the words of Christ in the Scripture, what's going on right now for some For some, the Spirit is enabling you to understand. Some of you, the lights just went on. I've never seen that, even though I've read that many times. The Spirit is just turning on the lights. That's the Spirit working in your life. To understand and to see, and now you're understanding to see who Jesus is. We can go back to our our passage, if you will. And this is what's going on with the crowds. The Spirit is working through Jesus The Word made flesh, we get it through the Word written. It's the same Word, same revelation. The revelation of Christ, and we now see who Jesus really is through His Word as the Spirit activates Him. So we we see He is the Son of David. We see He is the Messiah. We see He is the Savior of the world. But those who reject the Spirit's prompting, and that's happening right now too, Some of you don't even know I'm talking to you right now because you're so desensitized and you will miss it. But those who reject the Spirit's prompting, those who resist the Spirit, who are, as Paul calls them, natural people, they don't accept the things of the Spirit. It's foolishness to them. It's indifferent to them. It means nothing. And that's what's occurring with the the Pharisees. So look at their response in contrast to the to the crowds. The crowds begin to see the power of Jesus to heal, and they conclude, or at least they're asking the question, could this be the son of David? But the Pharisees, they're not even wondering, right? They've already made up their mind. No. There's like this question. Could this be the son of God? No. We know who this is. He's a worker of demons. Do you see the contrast? He is only utilizing these powers by the prince of demons, Beelzebul. What are, what, are the, what are the Pharisees doing? They're quenching the spirit, shutting it down. No, rejecting. And so they resist the spirit's revelation. They're, they're as Paul calls it, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, and in their way of doing it is saying, no, Jesus just does the powers, these things by demonic powers. It's just a way to shut it down, numb their conscience, harden their heart, quench the spirit. The truth is right there, and they're shutting it all down. 
And so instead of receiving the Spirit's prompting, I mean, Jesus just healed the guy, opened up his eyes, loosened his tongue. Everyone can, can, can see it, but they've determined that water's poison. It's poison. This prompting of the Spirit happens every time the gospel's shared with people. The same thing is happening. You and I just got it. We just got to hear the story of Jesus healing this person. And the Spirit is using it in the same way he did in those crowds. And maybe you're here today. Have you ever thought about, why are you here today? Maybe you're a guest. And maybe you thought, well, I'll just come with a friend today. Well, and they invited me. I'll be polite. Or, or maybe you're curious about Christianity. And you thought, hey, I've driven by this church several times. I'll just show up today. Have you ever wondered why? Why today? Why did you even think about that? You might think, oh, I was just being polite to my friend who asked me to come. But what I want you to realize is that the Spirit might be working in you. That the Spirit is working. And now, right now, the truth has been presented to you. He's revealed Jesus to you. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Are you listening to Him or are you squelching, squelching the Spirit? Are you listening? Or maybe you haven't listened to anything I've said up until this point, but for some reason now you're tuned in. You have no idea where we are in the story. How much longer is it going to go? But now I'm listening. Uh, yeah, I am listening right now. Well, maybe the Spirit's prompting your heart right now. Don't resist the Spirit. Don't harden your heart. Because if you hear His voice, you don't harden your heart because He may not speak to you again. So the Spirit not only reveals the person of Christ, but as we're going to see, He reveals the deliverance of Christ as well. And look in verses 25 through 29. This is, Jesus is now responding to the Pharisees' accusations that He does this by the power of Satan. And He begins to just disarm their logic. And what we're seeing here is this is absurd. They are suppressing what is obvious. And so Jesus exposes them in, in, on two levels. First, he, he exposes just the insanity of their logic. Okay, so I cast out demons by the power of demons? How does that work? Kingdoms can't stand if they're against each other. They crumble. So why would Satan basically shoot himself in the foot? That doesn't make sense. So, so your logic doesn't, doesn't hold up. And then he, he, he goes to another uh, situation. He says, and, and, and by the way, who do your sons cast out demons by? And what he means by sons is your disciples. That's what he's talking about. Your disciples. You see them casting out demons. Probably weren't doing at the same level and frequency as Jesus, but, but there's a sense in which exorcisms were going on in this time. But you don't conclude that they are in cahoots with the devil. That's what happens when we resist the Spirit. It's, he isn't irrational. He isn't illogical. Illogical. Irrational is to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And many people will believe in anything but Christianity. Anything. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's exposing it. He's showing their hardness of heart. You, it's not that, you don't, that you're not smart. You just don't want to believe this. And you will fight it to the death. But then Jesus explains what is going on. And he, what he explains in verse 28 is that actually what's going on is I'm bringing the kingdom near. 
And Jesus describes his ministry like entering a strong man's house and plundering his goods. That's right. Jesus is the robber. Jesus uses the illustration of ransacking someone's house. He says, if you're going to go rob somebody, you got to tie them up, right? You got the picture of them on their chair, tied up. They got duct tape on their mouth so they can't talk, they can't scream, and you got them pinned down, and now you can pillage their goods. You might be thinking, that's what Satan does. No, that's what Jesus does to Satan. (laughs) He goes into his house. Well, what's his house, this world? The kingdom of this world? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And he's coming in and on the cross and and, and his resurrection. And as Jesus comes on his first coming, he has bound Satan. That doesn't mean that Satan can't do anything. He's a lion who rolls around seeking whom he may devour. But he's very limited to what he used to be able to do. He used to keep the whole world in darkness. The only light was in Israel and there wasn't much light there either. But now the gospel's come all the way to Jeffersonville, Indiana. And you and I are trophies of God's grace where he has taken us and plundered us out of Satan's house. That's what he's doing. He's delivering people from the bondage of Satan. And so this is what he's doing even today. The Spirit is doing this uh, as we see people saved. That's one of the reasons why we love to share testimonies on Sunday. We didn't do that this Sunday, but we'll have a couple lined up. We want you to hear people's testimonies, yes, so that you can affirm their salvation, but so that you may glory in the deliverance that God has brought to them through his Spirit. Or when you hear prayers answered in your community group. We just heard of of Caitlin, Liz, who uh, got her extension. We're seeing the Spirit honoring prayers, opening up doors, stories of her witnessing to individuals. And they're, and they're sensitive to the things of the Spirit. What is happening? He is delivering them out of the domain of darkness and transferring them into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Brothers and sisters, we don't want to be bored with those things. And I think so often we can become bored. Oh, yeah, another testimony. How long is this one going to take? Oh, yeah, yeah. Praise God, he answered your prayers. Do you not see? Satan's bound, he's ineffective. And Christ has come and is plundering his goods, you and me. We used to be bound by him, held captive to do his will, but now we've been bound by Christ to do his will. We're slaves of righteousness now. We want to be amazed then by the Spirit's work in our lives and the lives of others. And so when you see Christ's deliverance of people, what's happening? Even if you're not a believer and you see what's going on here this morning, The Spirit's prompting you as you see us sing, see us worship, rejoice. You're seeing a people who used to not do that, now do that. And the Spirit is prompting you as you're wondering, why do they do that? What's going on? You're just like the crowds. Could this be the Son of David? Could they be right? Could God be real? Could Jesus be God? All those questions is the Spirit probing you, saying, yes, yes, come, come, come. You're seeing my work on display. Maybe you have a spouse or a family member, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, and you've been wondering, hey, they've just all of a sudden been about Jesus, and their life is radically different. And now it's beginning to ask, probe questions. Why do they do that? Or maybe you're here at the church, 
And you're noticing your friends are growing in Jesus, but you're not. You're finding that they want to be in the service when they used to want it to be outside. You're finding that they want to study the scriptures when they, they didn't. You're finding that their prayer life seems to be much more vibrant. Their joy, their hope, they seem to have something that I don't. And here's what I want you to think about. Why are you observing that right now? Because the Spirit's prompting you. Don't give up. Don't resist the Spirit. Say, you know what? Why am I not there? And thank you, Jesus, for revealing that to me. Holy Spirit prompts us to see his deliverance through Christ so that you too will trust Christ and experience that deliverance. Finally, we don't want to resist the Spirit because the Spirit reveals the forgiveness of Christ. Now we're getting to the, you know, the, the meat and potatoes that everybody wants to get to. Having explained his purpose, Jesus, in bringing the kingdom near, Jesus now makes an appeal. He makes an appeal to all who will hear. Look at what he says in verse 30. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. What's Jesus doing? He's saying, you can't remain neutral. You can't just stay in the I wonder if he is phase. You can't. You can't ride the fence. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom and think you're going to be in the kingdom. So neutrality is not an option. You must be all in. You're either with me or you're against me. You either gather with me. What a beautiful picture. Where does Christ gather? Where the word is taught and the sacraments are rightly distributed. You either gather with me or you don't. There's no middle ground. And what's going on right now? For some of you, the Spirit's convicting you. Probing you. Working in you as you hear Jesus speak. He's laying out, hey, you need to come. You need to come to me. He's saying you can't be neutral. You need to come. And, and why would you want to be with Jesus? Well, he goes on. He says, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. Now let that sink in. I know you want to go to the next phrase, but let that first one sink in. Every sin. Everything that you have done, that there is nothing that you can do that cannot be forgiven in Christ. Some of you think, no, 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 he doesn't know. Yes, he does. And the Spirit's prompting you, telling you the good news right now. There is nothing that you can do that cannot be washed clean. Nothing. He will forgive you of all your sin. That is simply amazing, isn't it? All your sin. He goes on, he says, even if you speak a word against the Son of Man, you scoff at him, you curse him, you get a video together and you deny him, it can be forgiven. It can be forgiven. We even learn that those who crucified him could be forgiven. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. And so right now, you're hearing 
the word of forgiveness offered to you. Spirit's prompting you if you're even listening to me right now. Forgiveness is being offered to you. Covering of all your sins is being presented to you. Convicting you of some sin. Some of you are thinking, I'm neutral. I've not committed. I've just tried to live my double life. I come here on Sunday thinking that'll satisfy. If I could just be the bare minimum, I'll get through. You know, I'm fine with being on the lowest, lowest rung in the kingdom. And then I can have my world and my riches and all the things that I long for in this world. And, and in the end, I won't go to hell. And Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. And you're convicted right now. Because you know that's what you're hoping. And he's telling you that's not how it works. Spirit's convicting you and saying, but there is a way by which you can be forgiven even of that false idea. And the only question is, are you going to heed the Spirit or are you going to continue to resist Him? Right now. And I just want to beg you, do not resist the Spirit to bring you to Christ. Because look at what Jesus says. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks against the Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Now, has Jesus contradicted himself? Jesus, I just thought you gave me wholesale forgiveness. Now you're saying, well, actually, there's fine print. <laughs> no, this is what the Scriptures often do. They cause us to stop. You have to think. You have to yield yourself to the Spirit. What is he talking about? Well, yes, Jesus says forgiveness is abundant in him. It is readily available in him to all who will come to him. But what Jesus is saying is it only comes this way through the Spirit. You must be born again or else you cannot see the Spirit. Is there any other way, Jesus? No. No other way. You must heed the Spirit's prompting. That's the avenue. It's the life source. It's the tree of life for you. And if you cut it off there, well, then there's nowhere. It's a non-starter. Nowhere to go. So that's what's occurring here with the Pharisees. I want you to see that. Now, who are the Pharisees? They're Bible-believing, morally upright people. People like you and me. And they're like, I don't need that. I don't need it. And they resist the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying is that there comes a point in a person's life where they have resisted and they have resisted and they have resisted and the Spirit no longer prompts. This is why he says they will not be forgiven in this age and the age to come. What's he talking about? They will not be forgiven now or in the future. It's over. The lights have been turned off. What a frightening prospect that the lights would be turned off and that you would never be able to see. You know what I was thinking about when I was working through this sermon? I thought about as a, as a young boy growing up in the church how often I resisted. Sometimes it was more subtle. I just wasn't paying attention. I had other things to concern myself with, whatever I was drawing on my bulletin. But then it became much more explicit because I wanted to live my life 
that I could be neutral. I could somehow ride the fence. And I look back and I'm like, Lord, thank you for not turning off the light. Thank you. That you kept prompting, you kept knocking, you kept probing. And in my case, you stripped me of everything I was pursuing so that I was just put front and right before you and had no other options to trust you, Jesus. Well, that's his amazing grace, isn't it? It's his amazing grace for us. And I'm sure you have those stories too. But if you're at your house and you're sitting there watching TV, watching a show, and you hear someone ring the doorbell or knock on the door, you don't say, I'm going to finish this 45-minute show, and then I'll answer it. If you do, what happens? You open the door and no one's there. You're at least going to see if it's someone selling something, right? And yet some of you think, hey, I hear them knocking, but I'm going to keep doing my thing. And what Jesus is telling you, you, you might open that door and he's not there. He's not there. Now maybe you're here today and, and this has not been very encouraging to you because you're really sensitive to your sin. You've been struggling with assurance. You're wondering, oh, maybe I am neutral. I'm having given my life to everything. I, I, keep, I have loves that are not Jesus and you're just going and you are a wreck right now. I want to bring some comfort as I, I kind of bring this to a close. Number one, the fact that you're sensitive to that is evidence that you haven't squelched the Spirit. You're listening. Now, now don't squelch the Spirit, okay? Don't ignore it. Maybe seek out people in your community group. Talk to, to one of us. I'd be happy to talk to you to think through it. But the fact that you're, you're, you're sensitive to your sin, and maybe you've come to Christ, you're like, man, I'm worse sinner than I thought I was. Oh, no. Actually, that's the Spirit's work in your life, bringing conviction working, sanctifying, moving, prompting you to trust Jesus and not yourself. You keep looking like, oh my word, this ship is going to sink, Jesus. He's like, I know, I know. I'm a bigger Savior than you ever thought. That's the Spirit's working in you. So don't, don't be discouraged if you're having lots of sins now come up to your mind. Rather, set your hope on Christ. Not on your successes or your own righteousness or the amount of fruit that you do or do not see. Because that's not your hope. Your hope is in Christ who shed his blood for you. And so on that day when you stand before him, yes, there will be those who say, Lord, Lord. But what are they saying? Did I not do? Did I not do? Well, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to say, Lord, Lord. You're my only hope. They were trusting in their works. You're trusting in Christ. Right? And that's the only way you're going to stand before him on that day. Not your performance. But whether you have been in Christ. So let that truth fill your heart this morning. Let that truth fill you with love and gratitude because it's that love that actually propels you to produce fruit. That's what actually does it. Your gratitude and thanks to Christ. And so this is one reason why we come to the Lord's Supper. And Pastor Nathan's going to lead us. You can come on up, brother. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. And what do we do? We remember that basic truth of the gospel, that we are secure in Christ, right? It's not in what we have done, but it's what he has done. He has given us his body, and he has shed his blood for us. 
And so as we take the table, we're expressing our trust in his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. And that there's no other name in heaven by which we can be saved. And so Jesus says to us, who are heavy laden and burdened by our sins, come to me and I will give you rest. Pastor Nathan. Amen. Thank you, Brother, brother Chase. This morning, as we do transition into the time of the Lord's Supper, uh, we think this is an ordinance that was given to the church, it was given to us by Christ uh, to demonstrate our participation with each other in him. And so we, we take of this, and um, um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that we take one bread, we take one cup, because we are a part of one body. And that's why we take this together. And this is a, a sign and a, a commemoration of Christ's work, his atoning death uh, on the cross in the place, uh, uh, in our behalf, in our place for our, our sins. And so now, as we take this, we look back to that, we look back at what Christ has done as he gave himself for our sins, as we think about his body being broken, his blood being shed, and we also look forward to his second coming, doing this, as he said, in, in, in anticipation uh, of the day that he is going to come back. And so, in this way, the Lord's Supper is a sign of the new covenant. It marks us as the people of God, and as such, therefore, it is for the people who are a part of the new covenant. So this is for believers, people who have publicly professed Christ, people who have trusted in him, people who have gone through uh, a biblical scriptural baptism, and are members in good standing with the church. So this morning, I would say if you are not a believer, if you've never trusted in Christ in the way that Chase just explained, we would ask you to abstain from this. And in the same breath, if... Um, if you're not in good standing with a local church, if you have known unrepentant sin in your life, we would encourage you as well just to let the plate pass. There's no shame in that. The idea is not to embarrass you in front of everyone else, but the idea is for you to watch, to see this is what participation in the covenant with Christ looks like. And so you can think on that as you see what is going on here. And so now, uh, as we do partake in the bread and in the juice, um, we do hope that um, if that is something that you've never done, if you've never put your trust in Christ, like Chase was just preaching, uh, please feel free, find one of us afterwards. Pastor Chase was up here. I'm one of the pastors, Brother Jim, who read earlier, and Pastor Chris. That's four out of the elders you've seen up here this morning. So we'd encourage you to find one of us afterwards. We'd be more than happy to share that with you. Um, and now this, um, as we get ready to take care of this, all of these things, this is what we, um, we've kind of distilled down into the Apostles' Creed. So I'm going to invite everyone to stand with us, and we can recite the Apostles' Creed together this morning.